Well, it's good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, we're delighted that you've joined us. If you're watching online this morning and worshiping with us there, we're grateful that you're worshiping with us via the internet today. And uh, just hope and pray that your Christmas season, your Advent season, is uh, lifting you up as you prepare for the uh, celebration of Christmas. I, I've, I've enjoyed the last four weeks. We've talked about the concept of hope. We've talked about peace. We've talked about joy, each one laying its own foundation stone for the one that builds on all three of those, and that is this marvelous theme of love. And I can't think of a greater theme that captures the spirit of Advent than the theme of love, and I can't think of a better season of the year to introduce this theme of love again because it's really, it really summarizes what God did. He came into this world out of love to be one of us, Advent. Several years ago, many years ago now, when the, when the girls were young, uh, getting ready for the Christmas season, uh, Elsie taught our, our younger daughters this little Christmas chorus, uh, Christmas is a time uh, for love. And um, one Christmas when Becca was standing on the uh, piano bench next to her mom singing it for family, I captured a little bit of it on film. That's kind of grainy. It's the old, uh, you know, VHS kind of, of stuff, and uh, it's not as clear as it could be, but I thought you might enjoy seeing just this little bit of touch from the past on this beautiful theme of Christmas is a time to love. things have happened in the intervening years. Time has passed. Becca's now a young mother raising four of her own children, but the song still has the heartbeat of the day. So we just thought we'd sing it for you. Addie and Hayden are going to join us this time. Christmas is 
the theme really never changes. I don't care how many years go by. I don't care the ups and downs. I don't care the sadness and the joy. Christmas really is a time for love. The fourth candle sets the stage for what we'll celebrate next week. The problem is that sometimes we 21st century Americans struggle with the whole description of love. How do you describe love? And so we try to picture it in a lot of different ways. We, we do these love is like kind of images. For instance, love is like a warm, cuddly puppy. And that conjures up a picture in our minds. Or love is like the measles. Everybody catches it sometimes. Or love is like a violin. The music may stop now and then, but the strings remain forever. And then, I, I don't know where these come from, but, but, but some of them are, are rather bizarre love is like statements. I, I read a few of them this week, and I'm just kind of scratching my head. Love, finding true love is like finding the mosquito that bit you. What does that mean? <laughs> or love is like falling down. In the end, you're left hurt, scared, and with a memory of it forever. What a abysmal picture of love. Even Shakespeare, the master of words, must have been using a broken quill when he wrote these. Love is a sickness full of woes. You wonder what sometime he must have experienced. Two older ladies were standing on the street corner watching a young couple walk down the sidewalk hand in hand, and one of them says, oh, isn't that sweet? They're in love. And the other one said, yeah, but they'll get over it. Unfortunately, sometimes we do get over it. And, and Christmas is a reminder that the heartbeat of all that we do should be built on the foundation of love. As a man, I must confess to you this morning that this whole theme of love gets a little too gushy at times for my taste. It's partly because we don't really use the word love in the same context. And what love means to one person, it doesn't mean to another person. And our discomfort is also partly due to the fact that we don't understand how distinctive the love of the Bible is. You see, we overuse our English word love. We use it to describe anything and everything, from the food that we eat to the people in our families that we love. And it doesn't mean the same thing. And so because it is so broad, broadly overused, it cheapens what love means. But the New Testament is very specific. The word for love that dominates the scriptures is the, is the Greek word agape. You're familiar with that word, but it's a beautiful word. It is love at its purest. It is God at his purest. Agape flows from the intellect, not from the feelings or emotions. Agape is proactive, not reactive. Agape responds with reason, not with feeling. Agape commits itself to the well-being of the person who is its object. So men, when talking about love and loving God, makes you feel just a bit squeamish or uncomfortable because it sounds gushy, I want you to remember the distinction. This love, this proactive, this reasonable this seeks the highest possible good for someone else kind of love is a manly, heroic kind of love. How else, how else could we do what Jesus said when he said, love your enemies? Can't be about feelings. It has to be about making the right 
choice. I, I, I wish I could tell you where this statement originated. I don't know who wrote it, but it's beautiful. I always thought agape was love for the unlovely until I realized that agape doesn't even notice unlovely. Now, if we can capture that, we're on our way to understanding this fourth candle of Advent, this concept of love. Agape never says, I will love you if, or I love you because. Agape always says, I love you in spite of. Agape is an unconditional, selfless, utterly complete kind of love. Every other love or loving feeling that we experience needs to be tempered by the umbrella of agape to make it genuine and real. For instance, romantic feelings alone become a mere expression of passion without commitment. But when they're under the umbrella of agape, romantic love remains faithful through the years despite the ups and downs. Family interaction alone can create tense moments. Are you looking forward to Christmas and seeing some of those relatives that, well, <laughs> you don't really enjoy? But under the umbrella of agape, family always finds way to forgive and mend and keep those lines open and those relationships close. Friendship alone can be painful at times if a friend rejects you. But under the umbrella of agape, friendships and friends always find a way to respond with acceptance and loyalty. The Apostle John introduces us to this beautiful concept late in his life as he writes his letter to the early church in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love was never more clearly seen than when he visited this planet to become one of us. It was God's love that embraced a humble major a manger, and endured a horrible cross. It was God's love that suffered the painful separation between father and son. It was God's love that could not be contained in a tomb because, you see, agape is greater than death itself. And you say, why would God go to such extremes? Why would God give so much? It's because the greater the love, the greater the gift. Do you get this picture of agape love? Romantic love? Family love, friendship love, they all had a beginning point. Somewhere at creation, romantic love begins as God creates man and woman. Then family love begins as they, as they blossom into a household. And as the world begins to grow and populate, friendship love develops. So these three kinds of love have a beginning point, but agape. Because the Bible says that God is love and love is God, it is eternal it has always been, it will always be. Then the more you love, the more you reflect the Father. And the closer you draw to the Father, the more you will love like he loves. 
There's a lot of depth that we don't have time to, to explore about this kind of love. So let me just summarize a couple thoughts for you real quickly this morning. And the first one is I want you to understand that love chooses. Love is a choice. It's not an accident. I read another quote this week that just kind of left me baffled. It says, you can't choose the person you will love. You can't fall in love purposely. Falling in love is like an accident, a mistake you can't regret. That, that is just so wrong on so many different levels. We're so enamored with the concept of falling in, irresistibly in love that the thought of love being a choice is just foreign to us. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you, if you think you are just utterly irresistible to anyone, you better think again. And if you think God looked down from heaven and found us so adorable that he just couldn't resist doing something for us, you better think again. I mean, God didn't poke at Gabriel and say, oh, look at them down there. They're so cute. They're so adorable. There is nothing adorable about us, all right? God did not love us because he couldn't help himself because we're irresistible. It's just the opposite. God poured out his love on us because his love is irresistible. And it is who he is, and so he couldn't help loving us, not because we're lovable, but because that's who he is. He is love. It's his nature. As a matter of fact, if his love is irresistible... If he is irresistible, we're the ones that ought to be drawn to his love and imitate it. And God didn't fall in love with us, but we should be falling in love with him for all that he did. I've lived long enough to know that genuine love is a choice. Feelings come and go. They are like a roller coaster up and down, but true love chooses to stay through the ups and downs of life. When I see a husband make a daily journey to a nursing center to sit by his wife who no longer knows who he is, who no longer recognizes him, and he spends the day feeding her, caring for her, then I know that love is a choice. When I see a mother and father keep a child who have been counseled to institutionalize that child because that child will never be right, and they raise that child through the years, even though that child never matures beyond an infant level, and they keep that child caring for that child through their whole lives, I know love is a choice. When a couple invests hours of their time and spends an inordinate amount of money to adopt a child that nobody else wants, then I know love is a choice. Don't tell me it's an accident. Don't tell me it's something you can't control. It's just not true. And by the way, those aren't the only tough choices that love makes. How do you respond when your best friend hurts you? Or a once-trusted coworker lies about you. Or a surgeon makes a mistake and leaves you permanently affected by that mistake. What if your neighbor assumes the rumor about you is true and treats you accordingly? Or your classmate secretly uses you to cheat on a test, but both of you get in trouble? No one ever said that agape is easy. Seeking the best for someone else in spite of what they've done or in spite of how they act is tough. That's why true love is never a feeling. It's always a choice. I don't know if you read about it this week, but two ladies from southern Illinois, 
Friends for 20 years, Missy Armstrong and Sarah Hankins. Sarah is dying with ALS. She has four children. Both of these women are single mothers at this point in their life. Sarah has four children. Missy has two. Sarah has asked Missy to adopt all four of her children. She's known them since they were born. But it's one thing to just know your friend's children. It's another thing to raise your friend's children. But Missy has promised, and they're already in the process of the adoption. Don't tell me love isn't a choice. That's hard stuff. Love does not always take the easy path. It does always take the right path. I like what Mother Teresa said. If you can't do great things, do little things with great love. If you can't do them with great love, do them with a little love. If you can't do them with a little love, do them anyway. That's a pretty good description of agape. Do the right thing. Make the right choice. Jesus certainly did. How can we do any less? Here's the last thing. Love acts. Love chooses but love acts. How does love act? One little boy put it this way. He said, love is when my dad reads me a bedtime story. True love is when he doesn't skip any pages. <laughs> That's a pretty insightful thought, isn't it? John, again, writing in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, said, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. In other words, don't forget, church, love is a verb. It's an action word. Now, how does love act? Well, love acts by connecting, first of all. I believe the Spirit of God works through our connections. The, the Journal of Happiness Studies reveals that the difference between genuinely happy people and unhappy people has nothing to do with the amount of money you have, your health, your security, your IQ, your attractiveness, or your career success. The distinguishing factor is relational connectedness. People who are connected to other people are happier than those who have no loving connections. John Ortberg writes, he said, connectedness is not the same thing as knowing many people. People may have many contacts and many networks, but they may not have any friends. Doesn't matter how many people you've got in your LinkedIn account. It's who you connect with in a loving relationship. Scientist Donald Winnicott found that children who play in close proximity to their mothers are more creative than those who play at a distance from their mothers. Now, I'm not talking about mom is over in some other state. I'm talking about mom is at home. But when the kids are playing in the same room where mom is doing something else as opposed to the kids are outside and mom is down someplace else in the basement, it's amazing that just the close proximity of that figure who they identify as that loving relationship in their life makes them stronger, makes them laugh more, makes them more creative. A mother that's in close proximity as opposed to one that's someplace else in the house isn't doing anything different. One's not paying more attention than the other. It's just for the child. That connectedness makes a difference. When a child feels loved, protected, and cared for, he feels stronger, bolder, and more creative. 
When you are loved in this way, you become more of yourself. You become more of what you are capable of. I think, I really think that this is one of the values of, of being in a, in a life group. I know you hear me say this every once in a while, but, but if you're not involved in a life group, you, you really ought to be. Uh, you know, when you just come to church and you sit in the pew and you're, you're here for an hour and you, and you leave, you really aren't connecting to anybody in this room. You, you really don't have the relationships that make a difference. A life group changes all of that. And we know from just research that being connected, having relationships makes a huge difference. And love doesn't just connect us to one another. More importantly, it connects us to God and inspires our actions. Connectedness to God enables us to feel spiritually stronger, bolder, and more creative. When you stay close to God, you become more like your capable of. You become more like he is. And you say, okay, all right. So if I stay connected with God, I, I do better. But how do I connect with God? It's not like we have this two-way conversation. It's not like God is sitting next to me at the table where I have a flesh and bone person to carry on a conversation with. So how do I connect with God? It's a great question. One for which we have an answer in Scripture, by the way. Again, the Apostle John writes in chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, he says, As the Father has loved, this is Jesus speaking now, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Now, now listen, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. John 14, 15, he puts it simply. If you love me, keep my commands. How do I connect with God? What, what, what does love do in my relationship with God? Love obeys. Every parent in this auditorium gets that. When your child obeys what you ask of your child, there's this loving relationship. You are, you're proud, you're pleased, you're, you're, you're lifted up, you're encouraged, and the child then is pleased because of that relationship. Obedience and love go together. How do I connect with God? Easy. I take action to do what he commands. Now, it's easy to understand. It's not always easy to do. Obey, obedience to God isn't always easy to do. If, if it was, there'd be no such thing as sin. Loving God more is becoming more like him. And obedience isn't just avoiding the thou shalt nots. It's being active to do what Jesus commanded and molded and modeled in his own life. If you want to know how to connect with God, then, then study through the life of Jesus and, and make the choices and do the actions that Jesus did. So what are you doing to actively follow Jesus Christ? When you look at the Lord, he spent time with the unnoticed people. The, the blur of society, folks. The people who make up the hazy background of the lead stories. The folks that seem to be so easily ignored or overlooked. Jesus never overlooked anybody. It's no wonder the multitudes thronged to him. Who do you think made up the multitudes? It wasn't the rich and famous. It was the people who he had cared for, who had noticed, who he had brought out of the shadows into the marvelous light of his love. The unnoticed. What have you done lately to reach out to somebody who, by all accounts in society, is unnoticed? How do you treat the people who do the jobs around us who, for the most part, go overlooked by our society. When was the last time you saw a teenager who messed up your order at the fast food counter 
as somebody loved by God and treated him like that. When was the last time you offered a silent prayer for the family of the person who works in the booth where you fill up your car with gasoline? Have you ever taken a moment when you're going through a cashier's a checkout line and the cashier has gone through all your groceries or all the stuff that you're buying at the department store have you ever stopped and said thank you and how are you doing today are you doing okay Uh, have you if, if, if there's no line behind you you know you can ask a few more questions if there's a line behind you find a different time all right you won't you won't have happy conversations from people if they're waiting on you all right but but ask about their family find their name Call them by name. When's the last time you've done anything like that? Make sure that you're noticing the unnoticed. That's that's how Jesus expressed love in this world. There's a TV commercial that advertises a medical prescription. It's for some kind of a skin condition. And the whole theme of the commercial is simply this. See me. Don't see my skin disorder. Don't see me as ugly. See me. Every time I see that commercial on TV, I'm thinking, these are the marching orders for the church. I need to look with eyes that I don't normally have to see people who oftentimes go unnoticed. The people who are just like I am, I just don't see them, you just don't see them. They may not see us either. But it's time for the church to step out and begin to see everybody as people who are loved by God. I'll tell you. I'm, I'm generally not a real patient individual when I'm, on, when I'm on the go. If I've got a list of things to get done, if I've got errands to run, if I've got tasks to be accomplished, I want to get them done. I want to be on my way. God forgive me when I do not pay attention to the people around me who you loved and who you died for because when I'm in a hurry and I don't take the time to love, they don't see you in me. That's one of the reasons why we have our widow and widower's cards here. I mean, we talked about this last week, but if you didn't get a chance to pick one up, would you pick one up at the kiosk after the service is over? Some widow or widower on that card, they may or may not have family around here. They may be all alone, and just you doing something nice, whether that's a gift, whether that's a card, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a prayer with them, whether it's food, I I don't know what it is that you want to do, but doing something for someone else will bring you as much joy, if not more so, as it will bring to them. That's what agape does. In her study, Columbia researcher Sheena Iyengar discovered that the average person makes about 70 decisions every day. That's 25,500 decisions a year. And over a 70-year lifetime, that's 1,788,500 decisions. The sum total of your decisions is basically your autobiography in life, folks. You put all of those 1,788,500 decisions together, and that's who you are. How many of those decisions are actions for God? How many times has somebody made, has been able to see Jesus in you because of the decision you make? Love obeys, and when you reach out and obey the Lord, great things happen. This Christmas season, some secret Santa in Pennsylvania 
went into three different Pennsylvania towns, went to the department stores of those towns, and paid off everybody's layaway gifts. Spent $166,000 paying off everybody's layaway. Would that be incredible? You walk in to redeem your gift, having saved up all your money, to give to your children or to give to somebody that you love, and the, and the clerk hands you the gift and says, the debt's been paid. It's yours. And you walk out of that store as if you're walking on a cloud because somebody paid off your debt. I can't think of a better picture of Christmas. That God came to be one of us. The whole concept of Advent. Advent is not just there is a birth. Advent is there's a coming. There's an arrival. He's here. And he came to pay my debt for all eternity. That is a gift that's irresistible, incomprehensible, and unconditional in its love. Ah, Christmas really is a time to love. 